All right, I want to go over the plan for my dress to the Metropolitan Museum of Art Gala. As you know, I have a budget of $115,000 for the whole evening, and that includes $8 for an Uber car and $2,000 for private detectives to find out what Anne Hathaway is wearing. Last year, we both wore real Wookiee fur, and that was mortifying. But, Miss Wolf, there's just one thing. This year's theme is Let's Get All Chinesey. That may not be the exact wording, so think dragons, think poppies, think chopsticks in my hair. The chopsticks, by the way, should not have been used for food before. But, Miss Wolf... I know, it's more than that, isn't it? It's a, it's a whole look, a look that says China doll and ninja and high-class prostitute. Can you bring that all together? Dragon, poppy chopstick, prostitute, ninja, opium-addicted China doll? But not in a way that smacks of, you know, tired cultural stereotypes and... I need it by Friday. Miss Wolf, the gala was last weekend. Oh, well, make it for me anyway. I have a date with Nicolas Cage. He loves Freaky. Meanwhile, the nose discusses the tone deafness of the Met Gala and of professional sports. And now McDonald's has cast him as the new Grimace, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, we actually were on our list of things that we might have talked about today for a long time was the fact that McDonald's has revived the Hamburglar, has recast, has re-envisioned the Hamburglar. But we just don't, we can't get to that, I don't think. We're going to be very busy today. Were you shaking your head over there? Is it because I compared him to Damien Lewis? Are you still <laughs> yes, upset I'm about still that? I'm still upset about it's that. a little bit like Damien Lewis as uh, Henry VIII. All right. So uh, the voice you hear is that of Tracy Wu Fastenberg uh, from the Mark Twain House, uh, from, uh, from Heartbeat Ensemble. Uh, Tanisha Dugan is with us and making his debut. Uh, uh, an out-of-town t- out guy, a big mocker from out of town uh, has joined us. He used to be a homeboy, though. Howard Sherman is with us. He does many things. He wears many hats. He's a strategic consultant at the – he's periscoping this thing right now – at the Alliance for Inclusion in the Arts, director of Arts Integrity Initiative at the New School. That means, by the way, if your high school, if your high school principal shuts down your production of Rent or Sweeney Todd or whatever, what else gets shut down a lot? Uh, the Laramie Project yeah. is frequently a target. We've had Legally Blonde, the musical, gets gets a lot of flack. <laughs> yep. Actually, several of several of those. Uh, Almost Maine, the most popular play in high school theater, mm. gets uh, gets in trouble. It's actually remarkable. Um, I just dealt with a school that, that had a threat to a show called uh, Dark of the Moon from 1945. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if that happens at your high school, you call Howard – he parachutes in uh, and fixes things. Um, so, so don't worry. Okay. He's also a New York City columnist for Stage Newspaper in London. But you know, he, he used to be a homeboy with us at the O'Neill Theater Center, at the Goodspeed, the Hartford Stage, Westport uh, Country Playhouse. That's where uh, we know him from. So he's back in town. He's decided to join the nose. We knew that he would fit in just fine. So we are going to start with, first of all, as a civilization, we have not decided whether to say gala or gala. That was even evident in the introduction. Uh, although I read today that Americans say gala and uh, English say gala. Uh, but I also read that gala is the adjective. I don't know. I'm going to say gala for the rest of the day. So the Met Gala, tomorrow I'll say gala. The Met Gala does have a theme this year. Uh, it's China through the looking glass. So last weekend, all these bold-faced names. I mean, all it really is the East Coast Oscar, Oscars. There's like everybody, everybody you want to see in a really expensive but possibly stupid looking outfit uh, is there. And the ticket, I think, is $25,000. One of the links that we looked at uh, this week estimated the overall cost. Once you buy your ticket, once you buy you know, the kind of dress or get the kind of dress that you're going to get and do everything else, it, it easily can be a $62,000 night for one person. So um, that gives you a sense of just, you know, how egalitarian and 
uh, open to everybody it is. Um, so this year, the theme was, as I say, China Through the Looking Glass. That's the theme for the Metropolitan Museum of Arts costume exhibit this year. This gala supports the whole costume. I think it is the budget for the costume department. So, um, so that's an even better reason to get dressed up. So a number of things that either happened or didn't happen, which were controversial. Uh, and so uh, let's go, first of all, to our chief China correspondent here on the news, <laughs> Tracy Wu Fastenberg. What bothered you the most? You have so many things to pick from. I think the en- entire concept didn't bother me from the get-go. I was um, sort of struck by the fact, well, you know, that's sort of nice. You're bringing in, uh, you know, Chinese culture and, and looking at it in a different way, especially when you read the write-up on the on the Met website. It sounds so, you know, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they had actual Chinese people as – you know, curators and chairs for it. So they had to have run it through some sort of something at some point, you know, moral compass. Um, But when you see it in actual practice, it's just slightly horrifying. You know, I I sort of expected to see lots of cheap house and and was almost waiting for a rice paddy hat as soon as I started flipping through some of the pictures. Um, but, But I have to say some of it just came off as really tacky, sort of like that 1990s thing when, you know, China... Chinese fashion influences were were popular in the mainstream where you had, you know, Chinese fabric purses and dresses and all kinds of things. Um, But also because my family came here by way of Taiwan, we are not from the communist end of things but the nationalist end of things. Um, I still get a little disturbed by how open arms we are um, sometimes with mainland China with some of the things that happen there that are very much in the news, are very current – um, and, and we want to be concerned about it, but at the same time, we sort of turn a blind eye. Yeah. And well, I want to come back to that. I mean, Human Rights Watch this year said this is the worst it's been since 1989 in terms of dissidents being locked up and other kinds of detentions and, and, and oppressive uh, acts. Um, so, uh, Tanisha Dugan, with your vast Chinese heritage, um, the um, well, I, I'm sort of wondering, you know, what what did jump out? I mean, there's there were a lot of celebrities walking in here with these kind of Chinese tropes that don't even really exist, right? I mean, there's Sarah Jessica Parker and this kind of weird, oh, I don't know what, what that Something thing was. Something strange um, that she actually created with H&M, which is very funny to me considering yeah. that most of H&M's clothes are made in China. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she sort of kind of went along with the theme? Is was, she that, making, you know? was she making uh. some kind of political commentary? I don't think so. Um, but the hat, mm. the hat, it's red. Yeah. It looks kind of dragony, which seems to be the one uh, theme other than poppies that came up a lot. Um, it's it a, it's a moment when I feel I feel bad we're not a visual medium. We can't – although, <laughs> yes. as I said, Howard is periscoping the show right now. So we're at least that visual anyway. It's worth going to go look it up because I don't think that we could d- do it justice by trying to describe it. No, we couldn't. It's, uh-huh. it, it was a very uh, interesting – although and in some ways kind of repetitive when it comes to themes. Yes, we had sort of the really uh, offensive dragons and chopsticks and poppies. Um, and then we also got a lot of nudity. Which seems to be like a running theme every year for the Met Gala. Well, most Gala. of these red carpet things involve, you know, some sort of skin. How strategically, can right. we show Put some sparkles? Our exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Howard, this is, well, actually, the issues of inclusion and cultural appropriation and stuff like that. This is sort of part of your portfolio. Yeah, anyway. now I can I can click the meter on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah now you start start billing somebody anyway for this conversation. But you know, the the problem with it is. 
it there's not a there's not a drive to authenticity. It's really the appropriation of images, and very often images that are in and of themselves secondhand. That they've seen movies that are supposed to be representations, or they've seen other fashion that's taken it. So. On the one hand, you could argue that it's never appropriate. On the other hand, if there's going to be an attempt to be serious about it and if it's museum-related, then to make these somewhat fanciful uh, style choices based on earlier inaccurate cultural representations, then you've really gotten into a realm that's that's really problematic. Again, because even what we see of it – is extrapolated out of the event itself. The event may have had a little more going on than we know in terms of context. I can't swear to it. It maybe well, we did real estate wise, it covered a very large portion of the museum, which is bigger than it's ever been as for the Costume Institute exhibit. So at least they got the real estate part right. <laughs> at least <laughs> filling up a lot of space. But I mean, I, you know, when it comes to appropriation, it is the American way. I mean, we are seeing it here. We've talked about it with African American culture. At least we're fair-handed in the way in which equal opportunity. We're equal opportunity offenders, right? But it's sort of the same. You know, you'll see this sometimes in weddings um, in China and Taiwan. You'll see pictures where they go through many costume changes, and they'll do one that's um, you know cowboy themed. And so it's 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 sort of. The same thing, you know, um, our idea of oh, we're we're being Chinese, we're 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 letting that influence us is like people in in China or Taiwan just throwing on a cowboy hat and some fringe and being like we're American, but well, for a, there's nothing more American than the naked cowboy. <laughs> for a diverse representation of America, should, for a diverse representation of America, they should do all the village people. I think that seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then, then you've pretty much you have summed up American life uh, as we know it. But you know, it's also surprising to me that they're this tone deaf, Howard, too, because so many of these people come out of backgrounds in theater and movies where all these choices are being made all the time. I mean, the, the King and I is right back up at Lincoln Center right now. Um, you know, you're constantly reviving and and looking at. Older cultural products that deal with Asian themes. The King and I is in China, obviously, but. Um, you know, and, and you have to ask yourself a lot of questions about those things too when you do them. Uh, questions that apparently were not asked when people got dressed up for this particular evening. When you do say a show like King and I, since it's it's current, the question is what does it mean to us now? I mean in the case of King and I, it was actually about British imperialism, not American imperialism. Um, but there's an understanding and at least as they move forward – and this is one of the great peculiar double standards is – they are – even if the material may have some inherent problems with it that can't be adjusted given its vintage, at least they're casting authentically. You know, you, they are allowing Asian Americans or, or you know, people with Asian heritage to play those roles. It's not – you know, it's not white guys in yellow face anymore. There is this this strange thing where I think you'll find in a lot of the Asian American community, there's a distaste for Miss Saigon. On the other hand, Miss Saigon has probably been responsible for the employment of more Asian American actors than any other single show over the past 20 some odd years. So there's the choice. But then we move to the Adam Sandler movie. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's just well, he, he been – He is casting real Native Americans to play degrading roles. He is casting real – and some of them made the decision that they would not put up with it. What's interesting is that the press was all about the six who walked. Apparently, there are dozens of others who didn't. Oh, yeah. And you get into the situation of if we want to be – artists, if we want there to be any resemblance of an accurate portrayal, then that portrayal should be by someone who is of that cultural heritage, of that racial background. But they can't necessarily control the narrative. Exactly. And so so you get all kinds of mixed messaging going on. Well, also, we talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, Tanisha, you work in theater. You know what this is like. I mean, a paying gig – I mean you said it. It's the choice and you choose all the time whether or not you want to make your living as an artist or something else. And sometimes when you choose to make your living as an artist, the tough choice is I'm going to play a overzealous, aggressive blah, blah, blah Mm -hmm. as in this brown body or I'm going to take the very offensive – peace pipe, smoking, peeing Indian in an Adam Sandler film. The thing that's really fascinating to me is how close Adam Sandler is to Chris Rock. And I was just reading an article where Chris Rock was sort of beginning to distance himself from that relationship and sort of saying, these these are my colleagues and these are my friends, but I'm starting to um, work more on my own pieces because this is because I can now I now have a voice when it comes to the narrative. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I do want to by the way, it's very impressive the Howard can periscope. Even while he's talking, he's talking very in complete sentences, very articulately, but occasionally doing a little pan or to the rest of the uh, the panel here. This is like, you know, we were so impressed, Tanisha, that uh, Kim Kardashian has put together an entire book of her selfies. entire life told in selfies. I think Howard's way out ahead of her in terms of documenting. So many. The first and last time That's Kim Kardashian and I will be compared or right. <laughs> spoken of a, in the same sentence. But you trumped her. That's right. the most important. It was a low part. bar to clear, but uh, but you did clear it. Let's be clear about that. Well, I want to. I just want to come back to the this kind of human rights question. So cause the question I always have is, uh, although I thought it might be solved once George Clooney married a human rights lawyer. Yeah. But um, the question that I always have is what what do we expect from celebrities? I mean one of the articles that I, I read, the, read said that you know, in the past uh, – uh, the last Oscars, I think it was Common and John Legend were the only people who said anything about demonstrations in Hong Kong or anything like that. But uh, you know, I mean what do we expect for a celebrity walking in on a red carpet to the Metropolitan Museum of Art you know, wearing you know, $100,000 worth of clothing uh, and – how much do we expect them to sort of stop and say, oh, by the way, you know, things are not great in China. I don't know. I mean, what kind of obligation is there? You know, we sort of talked, touched on this a little bit with, with the sports stars too. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people look up to these celebrities and follow what they do, what they say, you know, what products they use, what they mm-hmm. endorse. I mean, think about, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jenny McCarthy, that type of thing. I think I want them to take some responsibility for the role that they play and the platform that they have available to them and and do more. However, I think I'm starting to lower my expectations down to the basement in a lot of these these respects because, uh, you know, they have these platforms and they'll go off the deep end or they'll just not use them at all. You know, but I I think that once they achieve a, a certain status, Imagine the good and the change that they they could make, and and they do spottily. You know, you've got a couple of them, but you know, as a whole, well, they all sort of 
fall into the same same basement, really. <laughs> the gala is an interesting one, though, because it's sort of the one kind of event where you don't have the sort of e-correspondent standing on the side talking to you. I mean, most of the media that you're receiving is just a picture. Um, so I think that's what makes the Met Gala kind of difficult in but that you way. you could do so much visually, like the, yes. the, the young woman with the very graphic dress. Yes, you know, yes, you, yes, oh. yes. Um, that made a statement, but not the kind of statement <laughs> no, we were no, talking about. No, 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 not what we're hoping for. We're actually referring to the uh, companion of Robert Pattinson, whose dress was this kind of anatomical melange. Uh, a kind FKA of twigs. She's a little. Uh, she's a singer. Yeah, but a performance artist, dancer and first. It was, it was a cubist uh, anatomical melange, and it did include the male genitalia, although. They appeared at her hip for some reason. Um, you know, the real question to me sort of seems to be repeating Nina Simone, which has been sort of in my sphere lately. But how are you not an artist if you don't represent the times? And so really the question to me is, are these artists? Are they celebutards, as sort of TMZ <laughs> likes to call them? And if they are truly just a celebutard, how can I expect them to reflect my time? Well, I expect I'm, more than that than a selfie. And Howard, I think but another part of the question is just how how good is any particular person at embracing, understanding, and articulating these things? And there's a continuum, right? I mean, if um, if Richard Gere had been going to this thing, you know, I mean, he would have said something about Tibet because he knows a lot about it, and and he probably wouldn't even have gone to the thing because it said China on it. Uh, but I, I don't know that it's it may, may not be realistic to expect Sarah Jessica Parker to to have a really interesting thing to say about human rights in China. Well. But on the other hand, I think it's fair to say <laughs> that they're all people. You know, it's interesting. There are some celebrities now who actually have like coaches to tell them about issues like this. Um, I find that interesting. But there are smart people. There are dumb people. And being famous may metastasize um, your views on the world and also give you a bigger platform that your plumber doesn't necessarily have. But – it's going to be reflective but again in a culture where everything is parsed, everything is publicized, it goes further and further. You know, you mentioned somebody like Richard Gere at an event like this. You wonder, you know, was Uma Thurman who's often at an event like this not there because of the subject where the people with the greatest knowledge actually concerned. But when you talk about issues of cultural appropriation and representation, you're talking about something that takes a lot of conversation because remember, we're you know white people grew up, I mean, you know, in kindergarten, we all made little Indian headdresses and that was good and fun. And so Until far Urban removed from, did it and then it and, was no longer good. Well, <laughs> but but the fact is is that we did it when I was 7, there was no sensitivity to issues of Native American representation. So people my age may still look at something like that and say, oh, yeah, we did that when, that when we were kids. That was fun instead of having evolved to a place where there's an understanding that there may be something wrong with those simplistic representations. It's a complex issue and there's no hard and fast. Different people feel differently about it. Although maybe appropriate at seven. I think simplistic is probably the right way to go when you're starting a conversation at seven. Maybe not at 47, maybe not at 77. But I think if you want to have a conversation about these things with children, 
sometimes starting there is a good idea. And we've sort of gone to the opposite side where we just don't talk about the differences at all. <laughs> I'm still stuck on this whole idea that celebrities have like current issues. I feel like I could do that. I could be somebody's – I could be – I would like to be Lizzie Kaplan's current issues coach, you know? Like, <laughs> Every week, Lizzie and I would sit down and just, you know, spread out the New York Times together and just like just talk through some of these things. Which one looks most like you? Exactly. <laughs> which, one, which one do you like? But here, I would he, do that for Maggie Gyllenhaal too. All right. Oh, that would sound yeah. fun. Although I feel I don't know. I have an impression of her that she might be more intelligent and, and uh, up to date on her own. But I would actually give those celebrities credit for recognizing, hey, I, I don't really make myself as aware as I as I should. Um, clearly, they're not going to go ahead and 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 take things into their own hands and start reading things online and whatnot, but to make the effort and saying, I'm going to find somebody who's smart and somebody who can sort of guide me through these types of things. That I can give credit to. And what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your singing and dancing? And maybe it's because I'm a brown artist and so the idea of just singing and dancing feels a little off. <laughs> but In- Incomplete maybe? Exactly. But what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your talent, your gift, your... Mm-hmm. Selfies it's taking. More just, <laughs> it's more than just talent, and you'll notice I'm no longer periscoping. Um, I that think was a talent. It's a question yeah. of your access, because fame, for whatever reason you achieve it, gives you access to more people. So it may not be, as I say, not everybody has a gift or a knowledge of these issues. The question is whether you choose to use your platform in some way. And we should say that there are celebrities who have chosen to use their platform in ways that in the past people have disliked intensely. I'll use an example. When Vanessa Redgrave got up at I think it was the 1977 Oscars and started talking about Zionist thugs, um, a lot of people were outraged. Well, why were they outraged? Because at that time, in that place, they felt that was an inappropriate expression. You know, look at other times when people have done that and brought out issues that, again, you wouldn't think of in those settings. But if they sort of modeled on what that viewership or that constituency wants, they're praised. So, so there's also the question of: Is it at all appropriate? Is any viewpoint appropriate or is it that we only want to see and hear the viewpoints that match ours? If somebody had gotten up at the Met Gala and made a gun control argument, how would that have been perceived? Or if somebody had gotten up and advocated for the NRA, how would that have been perceived? In New York, at an event like that, I suspect the former would go over fairly well and the latter would be terrible. But then you'd have all of the chattering classes and all of the internet classes parsing that conversation. So there's no right or wrong. It's just a question of what you do with it and how do people respond in that context. And now we understand why Ted Nugent was not invited to the Met Gala. All right. We have to take a little break. When we come back, well, you know, we have two lactating women and a guy who works in theater. So we thought we'll talk about sports. (laughs) 
So uh, we're doing the nose today, of course. Tanisha Dugan's with us. So is Tracy Wu Fastenberg. And visiting is theater guy uh, Howard Sherman. Uh, and if I try to list all of his all the hats he wears, the show will be over. So um, we've got we we actually sort of this is not a necessarily sort of sports oriented panel, uh, but as we were sort of looking around, we realized there are like a whole bunch of sports stories that are all potentially kind of interesting, and a lot of them do sort of fit in with that theme of tone deafness that uh, the kind of tone deafness that might cause you to wear an inappropriate costume uh, to a Chinese themed uh, China art and costume themed exhibit at the Met uh, happens all the time. I sent around this uh, week uh, this. Uh, uh, video that was run by the Cleveland Cavaliers during their halftime. It was sort of a let's all support the Cleveland Cavaliers, but it was insane. It showed this. I mean, I can't. We can't play it because you have to sort of see it. But it shows this guy who's um, talking to his wife about supporting the Cavaliers, and uh, he realizes that she's wearing the wrong kind of t-shirt, a t-shirt from another team, uh, and they're singing this song. They're just singing the song from Dirty Dancing, and. At the end, she jumps into his arms and he throws her on the floor <laughs> and injures her. And you kind of think, did you not participate in the conversation we just had in this country? So anyway, we thought we might talk a little bit about some of the stories that did surface this week uh, in uh, in sports. And that means we have to t- we have to talk about the most overcovered story in America, which is Deflategate. And, I, and there may be nothing left to say. I mean, I, the only question that I had for the panel was – do, does anybody understand why why this occupies page one space day after day after you're shaking your head over there now? You know, I said it in our emails that I, I think this type of thing is the epitome of first world problem. You know, oh, a ball was deflated a little too much that could translate into some sort of cheating. And I know there's a lot of money in, involved in sports and a lot of betting and a lot of hopes and dreams and a lot of couch sitting and cheering and standing up. I'm sorry. I've already said many times on this panel that I don't like football. But to me, it just seems like there's so many other conversations that people can be having besides this. Who knew what and how much and, you know, probable probability and, and all of these, you know, very specific word choices. There's a lot of brain power and a lot of time being put into this. And, and it's just to me, I don't care. I'm sorry. Well, Howard, is some of it also that we? I mean, I think you might have used the word Schadenfreude as we were circulating emails about this. That I mean, the, the Patriots represent this kind of excellent and excellence and perfection and success that is not necessarily likable, uh, and and the undoing of it is therefore very attractive to everybody. I think that's part of it. I mean, I'll say. You know, I may not be a sports fan myself, but there's a massive audience for sports, and there are people for whom it's a deeply held passion. I happen to work in the field that's my passion. When I'm not working on theater, what do I do for a break? I go to the theater. Maybe I lighten it up and I go to the movies. But there are so many people who are deeply invested in sports that. When the narrative ceases to be the narrative that everybody wants, which is just mostly guys playing great games and doing great things and feats of strength, et cetera, et cetera, it it becomes polarized. I mean we've seen that sports figures may not be the heroes that they once were. But the idea of having your team and the rise and fall of your team is important. I mean I'm going to have dinner tonight with a Patriots fan and if I bring up this topic, <laughs> he will be fuming about what a, lunch, what a bunch of bull hockey this whole thing is. On the other hand, all of those people who now perceive the Patriots much like they have the Yankees dynasty 
would love nothing more to see them taken down a chink. And that's that's just you know that that's a reality of what's out there. It's not. Um, it may not be the most important issue of our time, but it's an issue that a lot of people are are, are passionate about. By the way, as we, like, as we go along here, hold your thought for two seconds. As we go along here, uh, our number, if you want to jump in, but jump in fast because we're going to switch topics pretty fast. In fact, I think we might have time to get to the Whole Foods thing. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. You can call in. You can tweet at WNPR. Colin, what were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, I understand that this is a very large conversation that a lot of people are engrossed in, but at the same time, there are a lot of other issues that came up with NFL players in the past couple of years. And I feel like I've heard more about these deflated footballs than I have about domestic violence, than, you know, Michael Vick and the dogs, all of these other things that are, to me, more egregious than deflating or deflating too much these footballs. You I know? think Howard made the point, though, that it's a hero story and that is why it's front page news. I mean, this man is beautiful. He's got this beautiful wife. We'll forget about the ex-wife and him leaving her and all of that. <laughs> but if we like leave the story as we like it, here's this beautiful couple with this beautiful family. He's you know one of the most successful football players, perhaps or arguably of all time. And that's why it's first. It's, it's front page news because we're watching. Is this, is this his hubristic moment? <laughs> is it, is it the fall of the hero. What's what's that's the exciting. It's not about the balls. I mean, <laughs> it's maybe sometimes it's about the balls, but it's not about particularly the balls in this well, situation. Apparently, to some, it's about his testicular fortitude. So. <laughs> I'll Just, agree with you but, that he's beautiful. But, but I think I think it's both things. I could care less. I think his wife looks lovely, but about <laughs> him, I don't care. Um, I think it's it's also a case of where the media is, which is that not even the hero story, but now that the media is so um, data-driven, so statistics-driven, there are people who want stories about a topic like this. It's going to bring more eyeballs. You know, it's the more opinions, the more it can feed on it, and that is probably a more popular thing: is to make a fuss over. Overinflated, underinflated footballs. But it feels newsy. It, it feels newsy because Kylie yeah. Jenner's overinflated lips could be there a new story. So, so inflation <laughs> and economically, lips, footballs, inflation is clearly <laughs> really that's the topic we needed to get I, on today. Yeah. But but what I was going to say was you know what it, what it comes down to is there's no question there's been some attention to the violence that seems prevalent and even the effects of violence on the players themselves. But whether it's the sexual violence uh, that they may be inflicting uh, on their families, um, whether it's the violence they inflict on each other, that's not as palatable a story, especially for a one-minute, 30-second video piece. That's the sort of thing that will every so often get a two-page spread in a major newspaper. Well, you know, to me, one of the really interesting things about this, and one of the corollaries to it, today it was announced by ESPN that they are parting ways with Bill Simmons, their most opinionated, speaking truth to power commentator. He's the guy who actually did get suspended from ESPN for almost – 
begging to get suspended, but uh, but for for saying that Roger Goodell had lied about the Ray Rice video about when he had seen the video of running back Ray Rice knocking his um, then I think fiance unconscious, um, and and who. Recently, I mean, within the last few days, in talking about this Deflate Gate story, said something that I think other people are not saying, which is, you know, I mean, they didn't really announce a punishment for Brady or anything like that, uh, and that this is Goodell and and the rest of the NFL testing the waters, just sort of throw it out there, see how people react to it. We don't really have any particular moral compass or set of standards that we can apply to any of this. We're com- we the NFL are just completely at the mercy uh, of uh, of public opinion, or not at the mercy of, but eager to find out what the public opinion is so we can know what we have to do to get through this and survive this. And that's when he actually did say that Goodell didn't have the testicular fortitude to come up with his own punishment. He's just waiting around for other people to do it. And I think that's a theme that runs through this, that they don't have any moral standards. They find out what society's moral standards are you know, by sticking a thermometer out the window for, for all this stuff. But they don't particularly have any. But their motivation for that isn't because they want to have moral standards. It's because they want to make sure that they're maintaining their market share of you know right. of the American public, so that's even more distasteful. This will get us to the Isaiah Thomas story in about two seconds. But um, let me go to uh, Jack and Canton. Hi, Jack. You're on the Hi, air. Colin. Hi, Colin. Uh, so I've been listening to this commentary about the uh, about the Patriots, and I, I think it's front page news because we want the NFL to have a moral compass. We want them to take a hard stand and and potentially even take the Super Bowl away from the Patriots because of what they've done here. Remember, Belichick has already made many mistakes. He's known to be a, a bit of a, you know, he's, he's, he's a little loose with the rules. And, and I, I, think that, I think that some of us want them to really get stung here. All right. Uh, let me just grab one more call here, and then I think we can switch tracks to a very related topic. Uh, this is Don from Durham. Hi, Don. How you doing? Fine. Well, I, I, it seems to me like some of you guys are missing the whole point on, on this deflate game. We tend to uh, do that. Cheating is kind of a huge problem in our society among young kids, among college kids. Uh, and the whole issue, whether you're a sports fan or not, is that uh, the cheating itself is the problem. And it should be a big issue. And people should be penalized. And kids should know that uh, their heroes, if they are cheaters, are getting penalized. It is, it's the cheating that's the whether you're a sports fan or not, the cheating is the big issue. Don, I hear you on that. Although I think the lesson always has been that don't get caught. Um, um, I mean, I've been a sports fan my entire life, and I've always known that most of the, many of the pitchers are throwing doctored balls. Um, you know that uh, you know there's pine tar problems with the bats, and then it turned out there were steroids too. And I mean, you know, yeah, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say I agree that there's no question that cheating is a problem, and we should look to any public figure. Uh, who might be shaping the consciousness uh, for a higher standard. But unfortunately, when our political figures have so degraded um, the the idea of honesty in the marketplace, uh, what we're really looking at here is the NFL, a major corporation which is in the process of getting rid of its special not-for-profit status so that it can hide its financials. <laughs> Mind you. So and and even the conversation about ESPN and this commentator, this is about ESPN's owner, Disney, 
deciding whether they really want to be journalists or whether they want to be part of the marketing machine. So I agree completely. There is there is an issue about a moral moral and ethical compass here that is being completely subsumed. But when we have Chris Christie declaring himself innocent because he has not been indicted but all of his staff were clearly up to no good, the idea of right and wrong has been so debased, it's impossible to know where the line exists anymore. Well, let's take a look at that line in another story this week. So uh, the WNBA, New York Liberty, is in the process of hiring a new president. And that president appears to be Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, a few years back, uh, occupied a similar position uh, with the New York Knicks, where uh, he not only wrecked their chances of ever winning an NBA, NBA title, but he was the object of, of a pretty ugly sexual harassment lawsuit, which a jury decided in favor of the plaintiff, um, Anuka Brown-Sanders. And uh, when I say in favor, she won, I believe, an $11.6 million judgment. I went back and read a lot of the coverage of the trial, too. And it's, you know, it's, it was like a lot of these trials, murky and muddy. I can't believe the Knicks didn't settle it out of court. It didn't look good. And there were a lot of uh, descriptions of the way that Isaiah Thomas would talk to women, uh, that he would use terms like bitch and hoe in addressing them, and that he may have been a little bit too much. It, it turns out Magic Johnson is the only, isn't the only person. He likes to hug and kiss. Um, but do you just – I don't know. Tanisha, I just wonder <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, I realize that the New York Liberty is owned essentially by the same bunch of people who own the Knicks in the first place. But you just sort of wonder, does, once again, are, are, are they in such a bubble that it just never occurs to them that you have a special problem when it's a women's basketball team? Maybe the bar is even a little bit higher as opposed to lower. Um, I think that they live in a bubble. I think that um, you hire your pals. Uh, I think this works in most business scenarios. You hire your pals and you hope that their indiscretions don't get caught. Um, but I, I just quickly want to go back to some, th- some of the things that the callers brought up. You know, parents and as a new one, I look to sports. Sports is like that tool that you use as a parent to help teach issues that you can't just teach singularly to your child. You use sports to teach how to work together as a team, how to not cheat, how to play fair. Mm -hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on. I say that about sports. I say that about about summer camp. But when your professional sports teams don't adhere to to the ideals that you're trying to teach your child through their athleticism... It gets really tough to to drop that fifty dollars or whatever to the city to 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 ensure that you're teaching your child how to work with other people, how to socialize, how to fight fair, how to how to fight to the end, how to be determined, how to lose gracefully. I mean, like because all at of some these point things. that child's going to be old enough to notice what's going on and ask you the questions, and then at that point. Do all of your lessons start disintegrating just a little bit, just becoming a little thinner because the the big people right. – sorry, using little kitty terms here, you know, who, who really do this all the time that we're supposed to be looking up to are not doing it the right way. So I, that's where I have a hard time sort of with this whole use, – using these folks as, as – Examples. Well, so. I'll say it. You know, I'm not a sports fan. I've spent my life in theaters. I have a lot of friends who have brought up their children around theaters, and I think there are ways to show kids teamwork and collaboration 
that isn't about who wins and who loses. And, and I think there's you know no better place than – yeah, I'm doing a commercial here, but than the arts because <laughs> it is about I how – I understand I, it. So. You know, but it my is, sister is, is an athlete through and through sure. and there are some things that she has learned being an athlete that I often look back and say, mm, if I had – if I had balanced those two worlds, I could see the firmer side of the road in a way but, that I'm, it's still intangible to and me I'm now not, an adult. And I'm not saying – and look, if I had had kids and they didn't like theater, I wouldn't have made them do theater. I think when you talk about athleticism, we look at the – you know how everybody is now recognized Misty Copeland as an athlete, though she is a ballet dancer. We realize what pushing yourself physically can be. There are lots of ways to – to bring forward what can happen in sports, the teamwork, the discipline, the the stamina, the actual strength without having to make it into the sort of gaudy spectacle that has, goes along with it all now. And that that's where the problem is, is that it's, it's – Operating on a commercial level that's so Helicopter much higher. Cra- hel- helicopters you know. crashing. <laughs> operating on that level. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing that I, I – one, one kind of through line that I can see here in this conversation too is in each case there – I mean maybe life just consists in general of these threshold moments where you have to make – a, a, a balanced decision, and like we were talking before, if you're an actor of color, you know how, how much of a butterfly McQueen kind of role are you willing to take in order to work, in order to have a job, or how much of a whatever the you know the comparable Asian stereotype role or, or Native American, like you know, in order to get that the money to continue your craft, your art, your passion, how much poop are you willing to eat uh, to do this? And and among sports fans, it's very similar. I can tell you as an NFL fan, I have my Packers mug right here that. You know, NFL fans all the time go, oh, yeah, the new cornerback slapped his – how hard did he slap his fiance? <laughs> like how – like was it really bad? I mean because this guy – because you know, we really need this guy. So like was it really bad? I mean you – know. But you know, it's interesting. There's an actor and I won't go into his name but there's an actor who ultimately pled to a sexual misconduct charge several years ago on Broadway and he continues to work. But there have been some communities where he has literally been hounded out of the community that he cannot work there because people will not accept him on stage because of what he's done. Now, his case was very public and was in the newspapers. But I think that's a very different situation. We don't see the fans hounding people out of sports Mm -hmm. for their behavior. It's only when the media gets into it. Yep. All right. Why don't we take a break here so we'll have time for endorsements? Yes, we should do that. We'll have endorsements when we come back. Officially, if you want to follow a sport that's not contaminated by cheating, spousal abuse, harassment, or drugs, your main choices are badminton, no, rhythmic gymnastics, no, whitewater cotton, forget it. Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kyone Wolf. Our intern is Kelsey Bissell. Katie Tularski is our executive producer, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Robert Pattinson. For show pages, articles, and photos of the Faith Middleton show staff deflating ice cream balls, visit our website, wnpr.org. On Monday's show, the scramble scraps through a weekend of news. And now, back to Colin. 
All right. I did sort of promise one of our panels that we would get to a story that we just sort of didn't really quite – we've got time. We can do this. So uh, it was announced this week and actually Tanisha Dugan was the one who pointed it out, it out to us that um, this, the, uh, the leaders of Whole Foods are planning to appeal to a different kind of customer, a, a kind of customer who would ordinarily not be happy when a small bag of groceries is handed to them for $65. Um, and that's, that's a rosy scenario at this point. So, they, uh, so they, they are planning to roll out a kind of sub-brand, I guess that's the wrong way to put it, uh, of Whole Foods, a less expensive brand of Whole Foods. It's kind of like not the point of Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> to be reasonable about what things cost. But all right, take it away, Dugan. I just, you know, I'm I'm a Whole Food shopper even though it is really expensive and I get a lot of junk for being a Whole Food shopper. But in the winter months when I can't get to a farmer's market and I'm up to my ears in root vegetables, it's nice to go there and get some Whole Food. I'm excited by the idea but I am terrified by this sort of uh, interest in presenting a more technologically uh, driven store because to me that sounds a little bit like automation, which sounds a little bit to me like less employees. <laughs> and <laughs> that um, concerns me because they are they are a really great employer for people that I know who work there. So they're going to, uh, co- they're going to start using discount codes. While uh, coupons and discounts are de rigueur in the grocery business, this is the first time in Whole Foods' 35-year history that it saw a need to ask, uh, offer its customers a deal. Uh, and they are uh, negotiating leases on new spaces, uh, but they have not revealed what they will call the new Whole Foods offshoot. Uh, the the uh, website Eater says less than Whole Foods, half foods. <laughs> Uh, Quarter paycheck snap piece. <laughs> Thanks. Got it in. All right. I haven't been following this one very carefully, but I have to wonder, is this suddenly going to create two tiers of Whole Food shoppers? Is this about you know the people who can fly first in business versus the people who can fly coach? Mm-hmm. And is this a stratification of people economically as to where they shop? There's a certain level of that that exists Throughout retail, you shop or you can afford to shop. But when when a single brand has literally – you go in that one door if you can afford to go in it. Oh, if not, we have this other door for you around the corner. Right. I think this is mostly Whole Foods saying we have squeezed the lemon of rich people and middle class people with bad judgment um, all we can and we've got to start squeezing a different lemon now. All right. We've got to jump into uh, a quick round of endorsements. Tracy Wu Fastenberg, what have you got for us? It is spring and uh, we moved to Marlboro last year, which puts us dangerously close to Rob's Farm in Glastonbury. Uh, which has amazing homemade ice cream and also now that there's a little one who is actually aware of what's going on around her. Um, they have baby goats. They've got a pot-bellied pig, donkeys and all that good stuff. So it's actually a pretty inexpensive you know, hour or so that you can entertain a small child and that's about as long as the entertainment will last anyway. Um, it's it's a lot of fun and it's supporting your local economy and eating ice cream. Rob's of and, – and sort of the petting zoo experience in general. Oh, yeah. Rob's Farming Gloucester. I, yes. I, don't, I don't suggest sticking your hand in any of the animal's direction though. Especially the <laughs> emu. All right. Uh, what have you got? Tanisha Dugan. I'm with her. It's spring and the little ones need to be outside because otherwise they will drive you insane inside. Uh, Tomorrow is the food truck, Hartford Eats, I think it's called, on Prospect. I'm super excited about that. And then I've got to give some hometown love to uh, Berlin Lions Club is doing their seventh annual food and wine festival tomorrow evening. Um, So if you're looking for stuff to do tomorrow... That's where I'll be. So is there like a food truck fair? Or yes, no? yes. That block um, 
from Main Street down to the park, I'm pretty sure that's the block, mm-hmm. uh, will be filled with food trucks from all around the Hartford area. I'm excited about our friend's way station. I hope I get to see you guys there. Um, that's in conjunction with Hartford Prince, too, that right? Is, yeah, the girls the over at Hartford Prince, they're doing some amazing things. I'm excited to see. Hopefully, I'll see some of them over there tomorrow, too. All right, Howard Sherman, what endorsements do you have for us? I don't usually endorse theater because I try to stay impartial. But since it's not in contention for the Tony Awards this year and it's actually not running at this very moment, all I can say is the question I always get asked is I'm going to go to New York and see a show. What should I see? Which is an incredibly broad question. I think the one thing that I can recommend without without even having to think about who you are or what you like is – Get your tickets for Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda's mm-hmm. show. It's if you can. Everything you've heard. Well, you can because it's on Broadway. It's going to be an ongoing run. You may not be able to get tickets for the first month it's running. You may be buying them six months down the line. But trust me, if you wait until it's in performance again, it's just going to get harder and harder. And it's an extraordinary experience. I really think for anybody like 14 and up. When I go to New York to see theater, I usually do try to go downtown. I didn't get to see Hamilton at the public, um, but uh, usually, you know, New York Theater Workshop, Public, Barrow Street, all those downtown theaters, such a bargain, and a lot of those shows do go to Broadway anyway. So, anyway, what have I got to endorse? in the current issue of The New Yorker, the one with the kind of broken window American flag thing on it, really do read Jeffrey Tubin's uh, The Milwaukee Experiment. I've been really involved this week in the issue of mass incarceration, racial disparities, and criminal justice. This is a really important article. It's about this crusading prosecutor in Milwaukee, John Chisholm, who's really trying to change the equation there. You can really you find out how much of an impact prosecutors in particular have in terms of discretionary adjustments uh, to the system. That's my main endorsement. I've got to go fast here. I do want to also just quickly thank Avery Soda. We did a show about sodas on Monday and uh, Kion Wolf did an introduction about a kind of soda uh, that had people in it. And they made it. They didn't put people in it, but they made uh, Dr. Wolfenstein's what's it called? Mountain Who. Uh, so anyway, we just got, we're the, we have the only case of it, but thanks very much uh, to Avery Sodas for doing that. All right. I got to stop here. I'll move on. Thanks to Howard, to Tanisha, and to Tracy. We will be back on Monday. This season on Serial Deflategate, did Tom Brady know? Oh, he did? All right, well, that does it for season two of Serial. Next season, did Manny Pacquiao lie about his injury? He did? I give up. Serial's over.